It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Cadillac On Call, presented by Cadillac Foundation. Each week at this time, we are here to share with you information on health services available in our community. And as we move through 2021, we want to get you the very latest information on COVID-19 in the region and the ongoing efforts to contain the virus. Today, we'll visit with Heather Hill from the Benton Franklin Health District and check in with Kirk Harper, the Chief Operating Officer and Chief Nursing Officer at Cadillac Regional Medical Center to gain insight on the latest COVID-19 case counts, how it's impacting our hospitals, and how efforts are progressing with getting people vaccinated against the deadly virus. We begin with Heather Hill, Communicable Disease Program Manager at the Benton Franklin Health District. Good evening. Welcome, Heather. Why don't we begin with the latest numbers and trends in our community in uh, Benton Franklin County region? Sure. Um, Unfortunately, we are continuing to see quite a, a large number of people testing positive. Our test sites are very busy. Our Um, National Guard test site actually had to be closed today because they did lose their tent in the windstorm last night, so they were unable to get up and running today, but our CBC site was busy. As far as data goes, we're starting to see um, continued that little bit of a flattening, but it's flattening at a very high rate, so it hasn't dipped back down and flattened. And this is the week that we're really looking at very closely because of the holidays. We would start to see uh, the the holiday infections show up about this week. So we're watching our data very, very closely. That would lead right into my next question. I know I think when we visited last week, you were concerned that this would be kind of that significant week relative to the post-holiday season. Maybe explain to our listeners why that is so and that lag that after exposure and all of that. Sure. When you get exposed to COVID, there's about a 14-day incubation period. So from the day you get exposed, you may not actually become symptomatic and, and have the virus setting up housekeeping in your body for up to 14 days. We know the average is somewhere between five and seven, but it can go as long as 14 days. So when we're looking at when a large number of people could have possibly possibly been exposed, we're gonna look about 14 days out and realize that's the period of time where we're going to start seeing these infections show up. So we're really at that time right now where um, you know the the holidays, New Year's, and all the activities where we should start seeing that peaking about now. What about with the uh, the testing? I know I think it was today. I was uh, reviewing some of the data, and I see that the percent positive still to be still are fairly high, and I know. Relative, and we can touch on it in a moment, some of these restart plans, the latest phases that uh, the state has outlined, uh, I know percent positive testing is one of those criteria that we have to meet, right? That's right. And I think what people don't quite understand is we need a lot of people to test, both people who are positive, find out they're positive, and people who actually find out they're negative, because it's, it's, it's so important to test a large cross-section of your population to get that 
positive rate. Now, we know at our two test sites, because we watch the data very closely, how many people test, of that, what percent are positive, what percent is negative. It's a little more difficult to determine that at some of the community testing centers because negative test results don't hit our data systems very quickly. We get positive test results in our database very quickly, but not the negatives. But we feel we're getting some very, very good data out of our two test sites because we're seeing a large number of people test at them. So. Um, unfortunately, yes, we're seeing some, some percent positive rates in, you know, 12, 15 percent on up even as close as 20 percent, when realistically, I'd like to see that more down around 2 percent or, or 5 percent. I think what we're cautiously optimistic about is the fact that people are continuing to try to do what needs to be done. We know we're through the holidays now. We know people are continuing to work hard at social distancing, wearing their masks, using um, hand sanitizers, and doing what needs to be done. And as long as people continue to do all of those, we're going to head the right direction. And then with seeing that vaccine is getting close, that's the other tool in our toolkit that is really going to help us improve our situation. And that's where we are going to go next. We're going to take our first break of the evening. We're visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. We're going to get into a little more detail about vaccine availability and when we can expect it on a larger scale basis for our listening public at home. And we'll do that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program. We are visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, I want to spend most of this segment talking about uh, vaccine availability and when our listeners can expect to have it more widely available here in the community and the region. But before we do, I was just, I, I would like to have you address from your, I know you've, you've uh, been a public health uh, expert, nurse, and infectious disease, communicable disease uh, in that field for, for many, many years. And and I was just reading nationally with COVID that we continue to, like today, or I think they said yesterday was another record death death day. And there's been, like, the there's five days already in January that are the five worst relative to deaths across our country uh, in the entire pandemic. Um, what, what do you know nationally? I, what kind of perspective can you give? Because obviously anytime you turn on the news and you read about that, you hear places like Southern California and Texas and places uh, where it is really, really serious. You know, I, th- I think nobody in the world of public health really expected to still be at this a year later because we're at the really the mid to end of January when we started to hear that something was happening. And in public health particularly, we, we train for this, we do our pandemic preparedness plans, but I don't think any one of us expected to still be in the middle of this. And unfortunately, seeing our data across the nation so high, 
and it is disheartening to see what's happening, you know, in some other states and some other communities where the rate of infection and death is so extremely high, watching the news of Southern California and, and the, the sheer volume of, of, you know, unfortunately, I hate to say it, how to store bodies. I mean, this isn't something that we have ever experienced in, in modern-day America, and it's certainly been a, a sobering picture for us in public health to, to watch it unfold and be part of it. I don't have the exact day in January of last year when the first case was uh, diagnosed or uh, understood in the in the United States in in Everett of all places, but I think it was right around that January twentieth time period. We are coming up on one year since that first U.S. case. You're exactly right, and coming up on the one year anniversary when Benton Franklin Health District went into our incident command system for emergency operations. And we knew that in a situation like this, it would be a long haul, but I'm not sure any one of us really thought we'd be at it a year later. Let's switch to vaccines. I I know when we visited with Dr. Brian York, an infectious disease physician at Cadillac, and all throughout the past year when we had asked him about vaccines, and and we had him on last week, and it it was really interesting to get his take to hear him as someone who works in that world of infectious disease that I remember him, I think the quote was that, that if you, you know, he was very surprised or he would be very surprised if there was a vaccine by the end of the year. And the fact that there was, I know, was very um, pleasantly surprising to him. But where are we here in Benton and Franklin counties as far as getting it out uh, to the public? I know uh, it, there are there are very uh, focused uh, orders of who gets it first just because the supply available is not as readily available as we'd all like it to be. Right, for for many reasons. What I can say is, as happened here in, in the Tri-Cities area, we began receiving vaccine just, just a month ago. And in Washington State, it was decided, like across most of the United States, that the first doses really needed to get into those frontline healthcare workers. And most people think, well, that's doctors, nurses, um, respiratory therapists, but we really needed to get into all of those, you know, even ancillary employees, your, your housekeeping department, all those people who are working in those high-risk environments where COVID patients are being taken care of. And then we look at our our long-term care. That's a a close environment. They're very high risk to have a bad outcome. And then our frontline EMS workers, such as our EMTs and paramedics. And where we're at about a month later, you know, the good side is uh, we've seen a lot of uh, community involvement. There are seven entities in town who actually have vaccine on site. And, and are not only working to vaccinate their own employees, their own staff, but are certainly reaching out and vaccinating some of what we call the unaffiliated healthcare workers, some of those doctor's offices that aren't necessarily connected to a, a large healthcare system. So we've seen a lot of real good community work in trying to get the vaccine out to some of those individuals. Um, The frustration, as many of you have heard, is mostly has to do with the lack of vaccine. We just don't have enough vaccine available to us to 
to get it to everybody who wants it quickly. And then even the greater struggle is staff to actually do these types of clinics. When I've run mass, mass influenza clinics, those are, you know, they're still hard work, but they're a lot easier to do than a mass COVID vaccine clinic because of the vaccine, the storage and handling, and the time needed to actually educate people about the vaccine, and then the time needed to monitor them after they get their vaccine. So running a COVID vaccine clinic, I think surprised all of us in, in how much time it actually takes. And when the vaccine first arrived, we also wanted to move a little bit slow so that we could see just how people are reacting or not reacting to it. Now we're a month into it, and all of us who are doing vaccinations are a lot more comfortable with it. We're not seeing some of the, the really bad reactions that we've heard about on the news. They happen, but they're very, very rare. So I think from going forward as we move into other phases, people have gotten used to the vaccine and things will start moving quicker once we start getting vaccine. So right now we're still in that category of the, the frontline workers, the healthcare workers, EMS, and the long-term care. But we've gotten a lot of questions as to, well, when am I going to be ready? I, I'm 70 years old, I have lots of coexisting conditions. When am I going to get the vaccine? And where am I going to get the vaccine? We're having discussions about that every day with our community partners because we know one entity cannot vaccinate our entire population. The health district certainly can't take the role of vaccinating everybody. We just don't have the staffing capability to do that. So we're really relying on the, the large hospital systems, the large medical systems, your primary care provider, and really encouraging them to get vaccine into their provider offices. But another unique thing about this vaccine is an example with the Moderna vaccine. Once I unthaw it and I'm ready to vaccinate, as soon as I take that first dose out, I have to use it in six hours. So I have to have 10 people lined up and know that they are going to be there at the right time to get that vaccine because I don't even want to waste one single dose. So logistically, it's a little more complicated than, like I say, the flu vaccine. So when provider offices are thinking of rolling this vaccine out, all of this has to be taken into consideration. And so what I'm hearing more and more is that our, our larger systems, such as Catholic, are really looking to how can we serve our entire patient population, maybe in a, a larger environment rather than ha having each individual doctor's office have vaccine that maybe they only have several clients a day who would need it. So we're, we're looking to get creative, plans are happening, lots of conversations, and I, I suspect within the next week or so, we will be able to talk about some really good planning coming to fruition to help support vaccinations in our in our community. You had mentioned I, the the fact that you've you've run a lot of these mass vaccination clinics during your career. Have, have you ever encountered one where you've had to have two doses? I know that makes 
a real complicating factor that both of the vaccines that are currently available require two doses. Right. Now, the H1N1 vaccine, the flu vaccine from 2009, it was uh, a two-dose. But um, we didn't have the challenge of of not mixing the, the different manufacturers as much as we have with the COVID vaccine. So if you get Moderna COVID vaccine, that's what you have to have for your second dose. Same thing with Pfizer. If you start with Pfizer, your second dose has to be Pfizer. So that does also complicate things a little bit. <laughs> a planning uh, challenge, needless to say. Before Absolutely. we before we let you go, uh, obviously that means there's, you know, we're we're weeks, if not months, for the larger where we're going to be really have been making a dent in our community for the public at large to really uh, see these percent of vaccinated people go up. I guess, first of all, one, uh, your advice on people leery about getting the vaccine, and two, until they get it, what's that advice for people to uh, continue to practice these safe public health measures uh, so that when they get that vaccine, they're as healthy as they can be? Sure. Um, Have a conversation with your primary care provider if you're real concerned. What I can tell you from, from the boots on the ground Uh, People went into this very concerned. We saw a lot of news and lots of information from around the the United States, and people were a little nervous. But I found by giving people the education, providing them the information from the reliable sources, and having conversations with them to help ease their concerns went a long ways. And... Honestly, we're not seeing large numbers of bad reactions. The most I've heard of is a little achy, um, a little feverish maybe is the worst, but that can happen after any vaccine that we give. We are certainly more cautious with this one because we don't know as much about it. It hasn't been on the market that long. So of course we're watching it closely. but we're really seeing some some really good outcomes. And finally, in 30 seconds, if you will, uh, is patients, uh, we've been urging patients all throughout this pandemic, but relative to the vaccine, until you are able to get that vaccine in your arm, continue to practice those public safety measures? Right. Um, Vaccine is one more tool in the toolkit, but we still have the mask, the hand washing, the social distancing, are all equally as important as the vaccine is. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Uh, again, and, and maybe if you would, I, isn't uh, the State Department of Health has information on its website for people wanting to? Don't they have a tool that's going to be up if it's not already up where they can go and get information? Yes, the, our website and the Department of Health website has a lot of very good information. But they are rolling out an app called findyourphasewa.org, and you can put a little bit of your information in, and it will determine what, what phase or what tier you would qualify for vaccine, and then they will text you when we are at that phase in Washington State, and it will also help provide information as to where you can get vaccinated in your community. So you can find that, you know, certainly on our website and the Department of Health website. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. As always, thanks so much for your time. Back with the second half of Catholic on Call in just a minute. 
You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Again, our thanks to Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And again, if you'd like more information, she had mentioned there is a new tool on the State Department of Health's website, the Washington Department of Health's website, that you can go and actually it's an app that you can go and uh, determine your uh, potential of when you might be a candidate to get the vaccine once it is more readily available, not only here in the Tri-Cities, but throughout the listening area of 610 Information Radio. And that's doh.wa.gov, and they have a great deal of information uh, relative to coronavirus and COVID-19 and the vaccine, as well as the Benton Franklin Health District's website at bfhd.wa.gov. We're going to go back to the phones now and check in with Cadillac Regional Medical Center. Kirk Harper is the Chief Nursing Officer and the Chief Operating Officer at Cadillac, and uh, I know it's been, a, it's been an unbelievable already 2021 on top of the long slog of 2020, but but Kirk, maybe just an, int- an, an initial comment on how, how are things going at Cadillac as we're sitting here in mid-January? You know, we did have that uh, kind of a, an increase in our inpatients occupying a bed with our COVID positive right there after Christmas that went up around, you know, after, excuse me, after Thanksgiving towards the Christmas and, and New Year's time frame where we had some steady numbers there that were definitely impacting impacting us. And over the past uh, you know, couple of weeks, we have slowly been decreasing in that volume with those patients uh, in our hospital, which is wonderful because I think that's really, a, you know, attributes to everybody adhering to the recommendations around hand hygiene, masking, social uh, distancing, which we really see the benefits of that, um, you know, not only in our community, but also in the hospital in, with our patients. So almost just in that period of time, say, you know, right before Christmas when the numbers were higher, we've seen the hospitalized number go back down a little bit, which is a good sign? Around our COVID-positive patients, yes, because we still serve all those patients who have other, you know, disease process needs that come and see us. And being a regional center, we get other patients coming in. So in addition to, but the answer is yes. With that, maybe provide our listeners a little bit of context. You, you mentioned that Catholic is a regional healthcare facility, and, and maybe give our listeners a little bit of perspective of where patients come from. Certainly, the Tri-Cities area, Benton and Franklin Counties, is the predominant supplier of patients that need care at Catholic, but it goes much further than that, doesn't it? It does. I mean, we're reaching or extended out through, you get them from Prosser, we get them from Sunnyside, we even get them right down there in uh, Hermiston and Pendleton. We also share some of the space with uh, St. Mary and Walla Walla and how patients need to flow depending upon, you know, the care that they need. Uh, we see them all as far as into Yakima County also giving us a call and looking for our services. So, and a lot of those hospitals in those areas, those smaller communities that have hospitals in them, they're smaller hospitals. So they, they rely on Catholic to have that relationship to where they can send for some of those more specialty needs, right? Absolutely. If they're unable to, you know, meet the needs of the patients, depending upon the care they need, we definitely, as a regional center, have that capacity and the capability to care for the patients and definitely be a receiver and assist them when they're unable to, you know, to take care of them as appropriate. 
So COVID has complicated this quite a bit because normally in January, hospitals like Cadillac are pretty busy anyway. That is correct because, you know, historically there's been influenza that's influenced our, our patient population and an impact. Usually it's a little bit further. It just depends on the season, whether it's January or February or extends out a little bit. But, yes, we do uh, have traditionally stayed very busy with patients around this time frame set aside the COVID that's been impacting us also. If you would, let's shift gears and talk about the vaccine. I know uh, at Cadillac there has been a great deal of work done to as a as a place where the the vaccines can be administered and as we touched on with heather in the first part of our program obviously availability is the challenge and so it has to be prioritized and I, how is it going with uh, getting that high priority team i.e the healthcare workforce the first responder ems type workforce how is that going you know, it's going well, and I'm very pleased with all the work that our team has put into this. I mean, we are definitely following the Washington State COVID-19 vaccine prioritization guidance. You know, we're ensuring that we're getting those healthcare workers and those first responders in and providing an opportunity. I mean, it's very nice to be able to offer it to them. And one, again, you go back to supply. We're watching that also and as the supply that we have so we can extend and reach out to more than just our own caregivers and help the community out. And then also it ties into, you know, opportunities around staffing so we can we use our caregivers and also other volunteers to assist us. And that stratification adds some challenges. It's, uh, you know, we want to make sure we're communicating it well. There's, you know, probably been some communication or excuse me, some confusion along the way just based off of that anticipation that people would have in wanting to be signed up or knowing when their turn would be coming. And then that ties into communication, just making sure we're doing our best to try to communicate as much as we can and at times try to feel if we're over-communicating, if that's even possible. Is that what makes it more challenging? Obviously, it's almost a two-pronged effort that's being undertaken. The daily care of certainly the, the normal patient load at Cadillac but add on top of that the COVID-19 patients that need to be hospitalized, but at the same time, you're having to have this vaccine plan uh, as well. Yes, there's an amazing amount (laughs) of caregivers that are assisting, volunteering, working as we're putting on our vaccine clinic, if you will. I mean, it takes an extensive amount of individuals to make that happen. One, all that planning and preparation, and two, to fill those spots to help you know, greet people, get them signed in, make sure their consents are signed, make sure their their medications administered to them, and then that observation period afterwards. So it is quite extensive and very pleased with how well it's just been running with the team that's there and all the planning that's gone into it. So there is a process that goes into this. So as you mentioned, what's the 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 monitoring period? Is it kind of like when you when you donate blood that you're you're required or asked to to basically sit and be observed just to make sure you're 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 good to go we do i mean that, that was another uh, opportunity and, and i don't want to say challenge but it's what went into the planning is ensuring you had enough space because we spread people out definitely six feet while we're observing them so you need because we can def, uh, administer the vaccine faster than you know you can sit there and watch them because we observe them for about 15 minutes to make sure they don't have any immediate reactions to the uh, vaccine and of course they've been provided the information if they do have any side effects or anything 
worse and beyond that that they need to uh, seek care for. So when it's the education, it's the observation, and just making sure that they're uh, ready to go when they're done. So that space was necessary to spread them, spread everybody out so we kept them six feet apart, but then also had the capability to observe them. You're a nurse by training, and I know actively involved with the team, and I trust you've gotten your, your vaccine. Have you gotten the second dose yet? Yes, I have, and uh, I will share that the uh, side effects are there, and people just need to read up on it, pay attention to the information that's provided to them, making sure they're knowledgeable of what is there is considered a side effect and just be educated on it. So if and when the opportunity is there that they're receiving it, they are planning for it and at least ready for it. And if you would, maybe before we go to break, just talk a little bit about how that, what kind of challenges for, you know, if people do uh, experience some of those side effects, what is, how, how are you accounting for that with the staffing? Because I guess if, if, if you had uh, several people in the who were happened to work in the same unit, that all experience side effects, uh, that can impact how you staff the hospital. Yes. I mean, we try to do our best. One, to stagger departments as best as we can, and we're not perfect at it. And we also <laughs> ask that maybe it's after the end of working a stretch of shifts, and then they might have a day or two off afterwards. So in, just in case they experience anything, it, it doesn't impact because we know we need our caregivers to care for our patients in our community, and that's very important. So we try to balance that as best we can. Some individuals, you know, might wait until Friday before their weekend, so they have the weekend to, if anything occurs, that they just can rest and relax over the weekend and not necessarily have to worry about, you know, impacting their work. And, and not to get too far into hospital operation weeds, but I'm always fascinated by this because of uh, a normal, say, a normal nursing shift is a 12-hour shift. But it's not necessarily they work five twelves, so their schedules are just vastly different than what you know the eight to five that I might be used to forty forty hour work weeks, right? That is, yes, absolutely. I mean, we have a various variety of eight hour shifts. We have ten hour shifts. We have twelve hour shifts. People come in at you know we have starting times where it's six and six, meaning six a.m. six p.m. where they do the handoffs, or it's seven and seven, depending upon the units. And, of course, that variation if they're an eight-hour department or doing some eight-hour shifts and then 10 hours start times are variable, too, just depending upon the department and the needs of that department to serve patients. So there's a lot of variability in there in many different departments. And I'm going to take a break here uh, momentarily, but I want you to think about it. I'd like to talk about when we come back, also spend a little time on, obviously, the clinically trained people are just doing incredible work. But the other staff that may not be clinically trained, but they're as vital as well. And it's not like a hotel where you have a checkout time at noon. Uh, in a hospital setting, it's constantly uh, uh, turning over patients in a positive way because that means they're getting to go home. But let's let's talk about that when we come back as well. We're visiting with Kirk Harper, the Chief Operating Officer at Catholic Regional Medical Center. Back with more of our time with Kirk right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. 
A reminder, if you missed any part of our program, Catholic on Call is available on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Catholic on Call when you visit Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast platform. Visiting with Kirk Harper, the Chief Nursing Officer at Catholic Regional Medical Center. And Kirk, just a couple of minutes left. And and I want to touch on, if we could, we've been touching on the vaccine that's been uh, rolled out, uh, first of all, with the the frontline healthcare workers within the Catholic system and and throughout the community, and and that seems to be progressing pretty well. And I know, as you mentioned, it's based on available supply as that process goes forward. But talk a little bit about, we we touched on just how busy it has been at Catholic, and it always is at this time of the year. But for our listeners who may not necessarily understand, there's constantly patients being discharged, as we said, a good thing, because that means they get to go home. But probably as fast as uh, the staff can get a room ready for a new patient, there's one ready to put in that bed. Yes, that's absolutely true. I mean, I was just sitting here as you're asking that question, thinking of everyone who has the ability to touch a patient, you know, meaning in their room to provide care to them and or help support the patients. I mean, and we're not even I was just sitting here thinking everybody from environmental services who really are integral to keeping our facility and the rooms and our areas clean for our you know caregivers and our patients. You have nutrition services, dietitians, case management facilities, I mean respiratory therapists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, CNAs. I mean I could I probably left someone out just <laughs> due to time, but there are just so many people that go into helping, you know, one, help patients get better, and then two, as they are discharged, ready to receive the next patient. And I know uh, relative, especially to the front-line care workers, due to COVID, the visitors are, are, are less available and able to come in with patients, so that adds some additional burden to the team that they're often playing the role of family or care partners. It does, and it really changes some of the ways in which we are engaging and working with patients and their family members. It is not easy. It is at times an additional stressor that gets placed on our caregivers, which is, you know, heartfelt and really we try to figure out ways to make it work to the best of our ability. We do try to look at our care partners, our visitors, how we can help ensure that we get them in there when they, you know, as appropriate with our patients. So it is a challenge. It can be you know, draining on our caregivers and our providers, but we still try to actively do the best we can as we're working through this. We had visited earlier and talked about just where the geography from where patients come into the Catholic system, many uh, small communities out in eastern Washington and into northeastern Oregon. Talk a little bit about, for our listeners, what, what's called the transfer center. It's almost like a, a little, I don't know, a, it's a Air traffic control centers similar is the only way I could describe it similar to, right? You know, I think that's the best way to paint a mental picture of our transfer center because they are receiving patients from outlying facilities or calling. They could have the emergency department, our freestanding emergency department, our ORs, our cath labs, our endoscopy. We could just need to transfer patients, you know, between departments. And that complexity of all those patients essentially, as we use that analogy for airplanes, trying to make sure they land appropriately in the right bed at the right time to receive the right care. It is amazing how they do it and just how they manage it with all those calls coming in at, you know, all throughout the day and night. 
And again, one of the the additional challenges is that these these other hospitals out in the region they're full too, and so when when it's a challenge to get them into a hospital like Cadillac, it, you know, the same thing. Then that transfer center team has to go find beds for not only the Cadillac patients but maybe some of these other patients that want to come to Cadillac. Yeah, so it gets challenging when trying to find the ability to put a, a patient in the bed. I mean, there has been we depend upon the volumes of our own facility. There, some of the other facilities run into those challenges, and people do their best to find, you know, who has an open available bed that can receive the patient, so we can help care for them. It's pretty impressive. I've happened to be able to be down in that transfer center and watch them work, and and they're they're very uh, compassionate people, smart people, and and do some amazing work to make sure all the patient needs that. That need to be met or done. I'd like to have you, Kirk, if you would. You got just maybe 30, 45 seconds. Uh, you know, as we sit here, I know the the vaccine is is bringing bringing a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. But but there's still more more work to be done, and people still need to follow these public health measures, don't they? Absolutely. Appreciate all the enthusiasm to for people to sign up and want in an anticipation of receiving the vaccine. But we also need to stay really on top of hand hygiene, social distancing, wearing a mask. Cannot uh, stop doing those items. Kirk Carver, the Chief Nursing Officer and Chief Operating Officer at Cadillac Regional Medical Center. Our thanks to him and the entire team within the Cadillac system that is continuing to just provide amazing work and to all of the healthcare workers and first responders throughout our region. Uh, they are doing incredible work, and we appreciate that, not only for patients with COVID, but patients that come into the hospital for a variety of reasons. Our thanks to you. And again, if you'd like more information on uh, available vaccine information, go to the state or to the Benton Franklin Health District's website, doh.wa.gov and bfhd.wa.gov. Our thanks to you. We'll talk again next night.